You can take someone who says, I'm in for Jesus, and you put a dollar amount on a table that they can now have, and all rational thinking goes out the window. They begin to murder. Yes, sometimes even physically. How many times have you watched one of those crime shows on TV? More times than not, it has something to do with money, doesn't it? It just leads down a path when we are in love with it that now what happens is we become its slave and it beats us into submission. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you, and as we run into your presence, as we run hard after you, God, I pray that you would just simply speak like only you can. God, for some in the room today, there are great struggles disappointments, searing wounds from the past that continue to rear their ugly head. God, I pray that this time of year would not just be a once-of-year celebration, but, oh God, I pray that for the true believer that each and every day is a, a thankful prayer to you for the gift of Jesus. So, Father, as we pause to open Your Word, as we mind the Scriptures, as we bow before You, God, would You do a work in our hearts today that we would stand in awe of You? Would You move in such a way that that as You stir and as You conjure up in our minds and our hearts and our souls a a fresh wind, a fresh fire to live for the King like never before. This is not our time. This is your time. So would you speak? Word of God, would you fall down like rain? Would you move in such a way that we know it's you? Father, forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we sin through commission and also omission. God, as you do the pruning work in our hearts right now, will you make us more aware of your presence? Will you do the sanctifying work that only you can do in our hearts, Holy Spirit? That we could leave here today knowing that surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And so, Father, we pray against the schemes of the enemy. We pray against division. God, we pray that you would unite us in one accord like never before to charge the hill with the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we give this to you as we open your word. Do something and do it now, we pray. And we ask this all in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we have made it to the fifth and final chapter of James. And I pray that your heart has been encouraged. I pray that you will continue to be encouraged. I pray that you will seek the Lord in 21 like never before as we look to be all in for His glory. And the bottom line is this, that Jesus was all in for us. There's no reason why we can't be all in for Him, amen? And as we think about this, there is a great, great text we're looking at today in James chapter 5, and as we open the Word together, the title of the message is simply this, Does Money Own Me? Does Money Own Me? I know what some are probably thinking, oh no, here goes the preacher again. Well, we just go word by word, verse by verse, and here we are in James chapter 5, 1 through 6, with a question that 
really dives deep into the motive of my heart. The springboard premises here were pretty clear. The money that's in my bank account or your bank account is not actually ours. For the true believer in Christ, as we're going to see here from God's Word, that we are just stewards, we are managers, and we will be held accountable. We will be held accountable for how we steward this. So here's what God's Word says in James chapter 5, verse 1. It's a warning to the rich. And here's what he writes, "'Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you.'" Doesn't sound overly promising, does it? Verse 2, your riches have rotten and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you. We'll do what? We'll eat your flesh like fire. But don't you wish that James could be a little more upfront and less subtle? You have laid up treasure in these last days. Look at verse 4. Behold, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are doing what? Are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Verse 5 and 6. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's interesting when you look at chapter 4 there in your Bible, verse 13 and following to dovetail into this, because remember, this is all one flowing thought. Yes, even though James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament, it's still a flowing thought. And so there in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, poof, gone. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, though, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So that's the launching pad. And then all of a sudden, he explains this even deeper because in our last time together, we addressed those verses and we were dealing with who owns my schedule. And today we're dealing with who owns my checkbook. Because when you look at my schedule and you look at my checkbook, you will know who owns me. They are the two exposers of who really owns us. They are the two exposers of who we worship. Question for me and you today. Who really owns you? I mean, who really owns you? I can be a pastor. I can be a deacon. I can be a Sunday school teacher. I can have been in church all my life. I can serve in every capacity. Even cut the church lawn. And the reality is I can live a life where I still own my life. And God today, I believe, is calling the American church to wake up. I believe He's calling American Christians to wake up. We are living in a crisis in our country like never before. We can no longer afford to play games, to live in the country club, It's high time that we get on mission for the mission. And part of the way we do that is to make sure that our foundation is anchored only in Jesus. Look what he says here as we unpack this together in James 5, 1 through 3, as I read it again, and just open that Bible and open your hearts. 
He says this, come now, you rich, you weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Just pause there for a moment. Is James in any way, shape, or form saying that riches in and of themselves are evil? The answer is no. Matter of fact, let me give you an illustration. Anyone ever traveled outside the United States besides me? A few of us. When you go to a country like Nicaragua or Mexico or Africa, here's what you do when you get on that plane coming back home. You realize regardless of what's in your bank account, you live like a king. I mean like a king, like royalty. And it's so easy in the West, the glorious West, where we have everything, to forget who owns it all. The issue that James is dealing with here is not, do you have riches? The question is, do the riches have you? The issue is not, do you own things? The issue is, do the things own you? And it is so easy. I have struggled with this for quite some time. This text speaks loudly and boldly to me. Because it's very easy, isn't it, church, to base our joy and our happiness and our contentment on what we have versus who we have. I mean, it's just easy to suddenly fall into that trap. To look in the bank account, and if it's high, man, we feel good. And when it's low, we're not feeling so good, and we're panicking, and we're nervous. And hey, here's the deal. We rest in Christ. Whether we're up, whether we're down, the Lord gives. He takes away. But at the end of the day, we sing, we shout, blessed be the name of my God. Well, that's hard to do, isn't it? I know I struggle with it. And James is saying, look. It's real. It's raw. We all go through this on some extreme. And then he lets the pendulum go to the other extreme when he says, look, there are some of you that are so deluded by the infection of riches that it's making you do unthinkable things. But when you look through this first part of the text, this one through three, you, you really see four key things here. Just look in your Bible for a moment so you see four things. He, before he gives the four things, he says, come now. So he's saying, listen up. Like he's saying, listen up. Like he's trying to get their attention. He's already dealt with their schedule. Remember, he's talking to Jewish believers and he says, you just can't arrogantly go around going, hey, I'm going here, I'm going there, like you own yourself. His whole premise is, look, if you've really given your life to Christ, your life is no longer your own. And when your life's no longer your own, your schedule's no longer your own. When your life's no longer your own, your checkbook's no longer your own. When your life is no longer your own, you're giving everything to Jesus. Like just blank sheet, you're pushing across the table for the contract. No fine print, no out clauses, just Jesus, fill it in. My life's a blank slate. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was in bondage and now I'm free. I was in the grip of darkness and now I'm walking in the light. Jesus, you fill it in. And when you do that, you won't live. I won't live like James is warning, saying, look, your riches have now done such an infecting work as they've taken over. They, they get deep into the crevices of the heart, don't they? They get down in there deep, the, the plaque and the darkness, and it wedges in all the crevices, and it begins to take over the heart. And he says, you're going to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted like food. They're, they're spoiled. The garments are moth-eaten. The gold, the silver has been corroded. It's tarnished. 
And this corrosion is evidenced against not your neighbor, not your coworker, not your buddy, not your friend, not your family member. It's corrosion and evidence against you. That's the one thing about sin, isn't it? That I've learned and am continuing to learn that when I've sinned, especially against my family, I can attempt to make excuses. I can attempt to blame. I can attempt to deny. But the mirror never lies, does it? James says, be on your guard. This is one of those rationalized sins, one of these respectable sins. And James says, look, God owns your schedule. He owns your checkbook. Because it's not a schedule and checkbook issue, church. It's a heart issue. It's all a heart issue. It's all what's in my heart comes out of my heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? I begin to behave and act. And here with the schedule last week and now with the checkbook, it's going to reveal who really owns my heart. I love key number one. I want you to write this down. Here's key number one. A person who is growing in Christ's likeness will hold their bank account loosely. Let me say that again. A person who is growing in Christ's likeness will hold their bank account loosely. So let's break this down. So a person, a human, someone who's alive, who's growing. Really, sanctification is the word we're talking about. Ongoing change towards Christ, becoming more like Jesus, will hold their bank account loosely. So, here's the deal. When we're really growing in Christ, here's where we come out of this equation. We look at our schedule, our calendar, and we look at our checkbook, and as we're becoming more like Jesus, we look at the schedule, we look at the checkbook and go, these actually aren't mine anymore. There's no longer a tug of war over the schedule and the checkbook. It's all, Jesus, you own me, you own all of this. Let me give these to you because you're going to do a lot better with this than I will. And as we give these things to him, what happens is we begin to ask the question like was shown last week, Lord, what do you will? God, what do you want to do with this? God, do you want me to go buy X? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Always be asking in every situation in life, God, what do you will? How can you ever go wrong? How can you and I ever go wrong by in every situation asking God, God, what do you will? God, do you want me to take this job? What do you will? Do you want me to buy this car? What do you will? Do you want me to marry this person? What do you will? I mean, on and on we can go. You go, do I really need to do that? Don't look at it as a dirge, something that you're coerced to do for the true believer. It's a joy because your life's no longer your own. If your life is still your own, there will be a tug of war for the rest of your life. But when your life is no longer your own, that's what you're asking in every situation. God, what do you will? What do you want to do in this? Because here's what I've learned in my own brokenness, that when you and I live in our own will, that's where the most pain is. When we live in our own will, that's where the most joylessness is. When we live in our own will, that's where the most discontentment is. And contentment really is a choice. Yes, we're all impacted. Yes, every one of us across this room today are impacted by negative things. Some, like me, have been self-inflicted. There's things in my life that I have hurt myself and hurt others that is self-inflicted. i got to bear the penalty and the consequence of that fallout from those poor choices. I'm forgiven, amen. Praise God, I've been made worthy, amen. 
but there's still ramifications for poor choices in this life. It's always, what do you will? What do you want to do? Getting back to the checkbook theme here, the bank account theme, a person who's growing in Christ's likeness will hold it loosely. Uh, not, again, with the, the, the claws, the, the fists that are clenched, but a life that just simply says, God, it's yours. You use it for your glory. And you say, well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy. Just write that down. 1 Timothy, supporting verse. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, supporting verses. Here's what the Word says. Just the Word in its raw form and power. Here's what it says. Paul writes to young Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. There's that pridefulness again, the arrogance nor to set their hopes, uh uh-oh, here we go, on the uncertainty of riches, but on who? On God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So so pause there for a moment. It's easy, isn't it? I'm guilty of this. I've fallen into this trap before of setting my hope on something that's temporal and fleeting. Tell me how that one works out. Well, it doesn't. It's a cycle of stupidity over and over. We set our hopes on Christ. We're good at saying it. We're really hard in the American church of actually doing what we say often. What does he go on and say there to young Timothy? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation. Don't miss that. For what? For the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you catch this, church? So here it is. So Paul is pointing to Timothy. He's saying, look, here's the cliff notes of this. Don't trust in something that's fleeting, i.e. riches. Trust in Jesus who's truly life. The Bible says it like this, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's a definite article. He's not a way, a truth, a life. Not all roads lead to the Disneyland in the sky. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the royal righteous blood of Jesus, period. You say, what's that have to do with riches? Well... Rockefeller, he was a pretty rich dude, wasn't he? What did he say when he was asked how much money is enough? Just one more dollar. Just one more. See, it never satisfies. This is the whole premise of what James is communicating. You're chasing something that will never dull the pain and never fill the void. You will be on a hamster wheel going nowhere forever. How about Ecclesiastes? Write that one down. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's what Solomon said there at the end. The wisest, the richest, And what did he say? He said, look, I've come to two conclusions of the whole matter of life. Here they are. He drilled down into two conclusions. He said, fear God and obey Him, for this is what really matters, because God will bring everything into judgment, both good and evil. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. How about you today? How about me? Are we chasing the wind? Are we looking for hope outside the hope? 
Are you looking for identity outside the identity? Are you looking for security outside the security? His name's Jesus. Is that me? Is that you today? Hebrews says it like this, 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Don't miss that. The love of money. And be content with what you have. It's hard to do, isn't it? For He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Very interesting tie in there. So there's a fear, an insecurity that we're going to get abandoned, that we're going to get left. And in that equation, here's the Word of God saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. It's all tied into money. The allure. Been there. The gravitational pull. Been there. The poor decisions. Been there. The atmosphere of joylessness that it brings to the home. I've done it. Been there. Got the t-shirt. Very, very convicting to my heart. That's why Proverbs 22.1 says it like this. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Question for you and me today. Does money own you? Does money own you? You know, James drills down even further as he weaves through these final verses, 4 through 6 of chapter 5, when he says this, Behold, so first it was, come on, listen up, now it's behold, same thing, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back, but fraud. Now don't miss this. We're going to tie all this together. We're going to see real quickly here through God's Word the deceptive power of the grip of money and what it can do. Which you kept back by fraud or crying out against you, me. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Uh Uh-oh. Not a good moment. Verse 5. You... Not your neighbor, not the co-worker, not the family member. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You, me. James has no issue, as you know now, we went through four chapters Four chapters of the raw gospel of Jesus Christ, the unpacking of His Word, and James is the two-by-four of the New Testament. He has no issue with being bold and rebuking. And he says here, you and you, me, me. He's saying, look, I want you to begin to look internally at the problem. That's what he's saying here. He's saying this for a reason. He's lovingly pointing out where they're going off the rails, where they're missing their hope, their identity and security, and they're looking for temporal things that will never satisfy. And he says, look, I can't do this for you, but if you begin to look in the mirror, you can get the train back on the tracks. And he really gives, when you look here, church, at those three verses, four, five, and six, he really gives three things. Just look there in your Bible for a moment. So he says you cheated, you've defrauded, you've oppressed those who work for you, and you've held back their wages. Now maybe you're here today going, hey, look, I'm glad I don't have to listen to that verse because I don't have employees. Don't negate Scripture. He's giving an overall theme here. Here's what he's showing. He's showing the deceitfulness of sin. 
He's showing that this allure of money, this love of money, this lust for money, and we see this going on, I believe, in our country like never before, the lust for power, the lust for the dollar. We see what happens, that men and women, they become deluded in their thinking, and they'll begin to make godless decisions. They begin to make godless decisions because they are deluded. They are so intoxicated. They are so mesmerized that they begin to make decisions that destroy their own life and destroy the lives of the people around them. That's one of the things that has troubled my soul as I have at times put my hope in the temporal, even thinking of this moment, the damage I've done to, to my family, that I pray one day will be erased. You've lived in self-indulgence. You fattened your hearts <laughs> in the day of slaughter. See, that's what sin does. We're like lambs going to the slaughter. Imagine as, that, as those lambs, the livestock, they, they go to the slaughter. Do they really know where they're going? No. Do those who drive off one spiritual cliff after another really know where they're going? Do they really go, hey, you know what? I can't wait to get up today. I know it's raining outside, but I can't wait to get up today and go destroy my life. No, it's called the deceitfulness of sin. It's the grip of power of sin. It's what happens when we're under that vice is what he's talking about. In my house, I have a, in my garage, I have a, a shelf and I have one of those vices. And it's fastened to the bottom shelf and I'll use it to you know, put something in there from time to time, a piece of wood or metal that I'm working with and Sure enough, I take the vice and you spin it around. You know what I'm talking about? You spin it, and what happens? Well, you got those, you know, those two big hammers, those claws, if you will, and as you spin it, they get closer and closer together, and you don't want to put your finger in there, amen? <laughs> Not a good idea, but you spin that, and whatever's in there, I mean, you begin to ratchet it. You know, I'll lean down on it because I want to make sure it, if I'm sawing it, then I want to make sure it's secure, and so I begin to ratchet it down tightly, and I'm telling you what. If a hurricane blows in from Florida, it's not moving, right? It's the one thing standing. I mean, this thing is buttoned up. That is a light example of the power of sin. We're like in a vice. We're not going anywhere. We're squirming. We're trying to get out of this thing. And we are just caught in the cords of sin, as Proverbs would say. And James says, look, if you live in this and profess to know Jesus, and yet you're serving the bank checkbook, you're serving the bank account, you're honoring Him with your lips, but your heart is far from Him. Think about what the Word says here. Think about this. Self-indulgence. You've condemned, you've sentenced, you've murdered. Could this be real? Perhaps. We know for a fact that we murder with what? Our hearts and our mouths, don't we? And again, I've seen this happen, but someone passes away and there's an inheritance left, and what happens next? Jesus goes out the window, amen? I mean, it's like, here we go. All in the name of Jesus, knuckle sandwiches everywhere, right? I mean, we're just fighting and clawing because there's money on the table. This is what it does. It, it literally just changes people. You can take someone who says, I'm in for Jesus, and you put a dollar amount on a table that they can now have, and all rational thinking goes out the window. We begin to murder. Yes, sometimes even physically. How many times have you watched one of those crime shows on TV. More times than not, it has something to do with money, doesn't it? It just leads down a path when we are in love with it that now what happens is we become its slave and it beats us into submission. And I've been there. 
And it causes great damage to those around us. To our own lives and those we love. As it takes control. That's what it does. It just takes control as we're locked in the vice. And as much as we squirm, there's nowhere to go. Think about key number two. So here's what key number two. As this addiction to riches causes us to do unthinkable things. Arrogantly controlling your bank account is not a checkbook issue. It's a heart issue. And it's evil. Let me say that again. Key number two. Arrogantly controlling your bank account is not a checkbook issue. It's a heart issue. And it's evil. Again, this premise of addiction to riches, to wealth, causes us to do unthinkable things. So here's some practical that you can implement immediately today. I can't ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. So when I get paid, the first check that gets written is to Jesus. First one. Not to a church, not to a pastor, to Jesus. It may have a church's name on it, Enon Baptist Church. We're giving it to Jesus. You say, why would you do that? Because what if there's not enough? Trust me on this. Trust me. (laughs) Some say you can't afford to do that. No, I argue this. You can't afford not to do this. Some argue this is risky. Oh, I'll tell you what risky is, disobeying God. That's real risky. That's really risky. You know, what happens if you get a bonus? You tithe on it. You give your offering. Really? Yeah. Where did it come from? It came from Jesus. He owns it. I don't own it. I'm a steward of it. He's going to hold me accountable. I got enough explaining to do. Amen? This is so vital. There's so much work to be done right here in our community. Big ministry takes big dollars. There's no other way around this. Imagine if everyone was all in. Just all in. God's yours. Not mine. I'm going to chase after this stuff. I know I'll never be content. Here, you take it and bring me the contentment I crave. You're peace. You're the prince of peace. I'll never find peace outside of you and, and living in you and with you. And We're so busy doing things for God, we forget to be with God and abide in Him and rest in Him. It's so important. Robbing God and robbing others, as you see here in this context, will eventually ensnare the one who's robbing. If you're robbing God today, you're robbing others, take it to the bank. At some point, you're going to be ensnared. Therefore, as the Word says in Proverbs 1.19, I love this one, Proverbs 1.19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. One translation says it like this, it takes away the life of its owners. So when I, when you, we're, we're deluded, we're deceitful, we're not treating our employees well, we're not treating our family well, we're not honoring God with the first fruits, we're holding back, it's our security blanket, and we're saying, God, I don't trust you. What we're saying is, God, you're a liar. What we're saying is, God, I'm going to hold back. And when we do this, we're actually taking away our own life. That's the delusion and the insanity of sin. It takes away our life. It's kind of like bitterness. Whole different topic. Same premise. If you're here today and you're bitter and holding a grudge against someone, the person who's being the most wounded is you. A self-imposed prison. Throw away the key. As the person once said, you're waiting for the other person to die even though you're the one that's drank the poison pill. It's just delusional. It doesn't make any logical sense. And that's James's premise. He's saying it is so warping. It's so distorting. 
you lose your compass. You don't know even where you're going. How about 1 Timothy? Go back there for a moment. Write this one down. Again, chapter 6. This time it's 6 through 10. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. And Paul, as he's speaking to young Timothy, really begins to ratchet down. He puts a big bow on the subject matter when he says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, it's interesting when you read that first part and then the remaining verses begin to really explain themselves. For we brought nothing, verse 7, into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world But if we have food and clothing, uh uh-oh, there's the rottenness again, the decaying, the moths destroying, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Pretty wild stuff, isn't it? So this love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money in itself is not evil. We need money to do ministry. Amen? This is how the world works. I used the illustration in the first service about dominion. I said, hey, you know, we got a bill every month. And we don't call them up and say, hey, we're a ministry, we're a church, can we get a pass on this? They would say, amen, no. Send in your check. And about the moment I said that in the first service, the light went off. Just making sure we paid the bill. You know, you think through this, though. For the love of money is the root. It's the root. See, everything has a root. Don't miss this. Every sin, every sin that I deal with and you deal with has a root. If we don't get to the root, we'll never alleviate the sin. So many people spend the majority of their lives dealing with the byproducts of the root. Well, let's just deal with what's on the surface. Okay, great. Let's go on a merry-go-round. How about we do that for the rest of our lives? No, get to the root. What's the root? And you begin to dig under the surface and you begin to see what the root is. Every sin has a root issue. Something got broken. And with money... There can be all kinds of psychological things behind that. But at the essence of sin is always the greatest, and that's what we call pride. For it's the worst viper in the heart, as Edward said. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. They're caught. They're caught in the cords, and that's cobweb. And, and you're out there late at night, and you're walking between the trees, and the cobweb gets there on your head. And all of a sudden, you're doing the happy dance, right? You're going back to costal. You don't know what kind of spider's in there, but you're hitting your head. I mean, you're just doing all this stuff here. And what's going on? You're trying to pull it away. And it's almost like the more you pull on it, the worse it gets, right? You're just ensnared. That's the visual. You're caught in a trap. That's sin, what it does. It keeps us, it keeps us far longer than we ever wanted to stay. As we're ensnared, what happens? It plunges people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. It's that root of all kinds of evil, and it's through this craving, it's through this lust, this unbridled desire. Gotta have, gotta have, gotta have, gotta have. And as we crave it, And we don't say, God, I really want this, but if it's not your will, I'm good with it, God. Man, when you get to that point in your life, when I do, we say, God, I really, really want X, but if it's not your will, I'm good with it. That's many times when he begins to go, hey, we're finding where we need to go, go for it. And many times he will open up doors because there's no longer the tug of war. It's, God, it's really yours, and I'm being truthful, God. If you don't want me to have it, man, I am good to go. I want your will, your glory, for your fame, for your praise. 
that you might work in my life. And we're not doing what Paul told Timothy, where some are being led astray. They're wandering away from the faith. Think about this. They're apostating from their profession in Christ because the love of money is now deceiving them. They're making godless decisions, and they're literally, they don't know it, they're piercing themselves. When they're, they're piercing themselves. You think about this issue, and Matthew 6 says it like this, 19 through 21. Sermon on the Mount, right there in the middle chapter of that three-chapter sermon by Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. Does money own you? Does money own me? Actually, another question we could ask is, where's our heart? Where's your heart today? Where's my treasure? Where's my schedule? When you find my schedule and you find my treasure, you're going to find my heart. I've heard people say this over the years. More time I can count. Well, you know, I really can't give God those couple hours on Sunday morning. You know, I got to work. I'm busy. I, I get it. And we just make excuses. Well, here's the deal. This is what I tell people. I say, look, test me on this. Just money back guarantee. That's what I tell them. I say, if you give God those couple hours on Sunday morning, give it to him. Don't hold on to it. Give it away to him. Watch what he does as you give those away to him. Just watch. If you're self-employed and you're like, look, I got to work those two hours. Look, you give him those two hours on Sunday morning and watch what he does with the remaining time of your day. He's going to maximize the remaining time. Why? Because you put Him first. It's all about putting Him first. Not second, not third, not ninth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not have any other gods before me. It means this, zero, not a nilch. We can no longer afford to cohabitate with everything else and bring God along for the ride. Come on, God, bless my plans. That's not how this works. And yet, in my travels, I've seen this enslave more people than I can count. That's why Matthew 6, 24 says it like this, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. Think about this. You can't serve two. And you hold on to both. You've got to let go at some point. You're going to love one or love the other. Devote to one or devote to the other. There's going to be a love of one and ultimately a hating of the other. There's going to be a devoting to one and despising of the other. And then he says these words, you cannot serve God and money, period. Wow. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Think about this. Why would Jesus spend so much time talking about money? Like seriously, why would he do this? Here's why. Because he's concerned with the condition of our hearts. It's all about the heart. I mean, think about this for a moment. Think about Zacchaeus and think about the rich young ruler. Great, great dichotomy. So you got Zacchaeus. He was a wee little fellow. Amen. Just a wee little dude. And Jesus came on the scene and said, look, I see you up there. Come down. I'm going to your house today. He comes down. And what happened to Zacchaeus? Well, his heart got ripped wide open, and there was a humility in his life. He said, look, I, I see it. I'm seeing clearly now for the first time. I see clearly where I'm living. I see clearly the sin I'm in. I'm going to go back and repay. I want to make this right. God, what do you want to do? Jesus, what do you want to do in my life? And I'm going to give everything to you. I know I've done these shameful, horrible things, but, but I want to make my life new through Christ. And I'm going to do this voluntarily. And then you got the rich young ruler. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler. Bling, bling. Had all the deal, right? Him and Jesus have a conversation. It's like, hey, you need to keep all these commandments. Yeah, I've already done that. No, you haven't. Liar, liar, pants on fire. 
He's like, look, if you want to play games with me, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get to the heart of the matter. Because remember this, Jesus is always looking for me and you to give Him what's most important to us, because what's most important to us is always standing in the way of us and Him. So He's always looking to get rid of what's most important to us, because that's always going to be the idol. There can be nothing more important in this life more than Jesus. He says, okay. Jesus is like, all right, big boy. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all your riches, go sell it, and give it to the poor. Whoa. I can just see the rich young ruler going, time out, chief. I'm not reading your mail. This isn't working in my world. And the Bible says that he went away sad. And every research I've done on that text, it does not give any inclination in the slightest that Jesus ran after him, said, hey, can we negotiate? Hey, 50%? What can we do here to make this work? No, he goes, here's the standard. Because he was making a point to him. You're going to say with your mouth that you're doing these things, but your heart is far from me. And I'm not going to chase you around town, Jesus says, if you're going to walk in disobedience. Think about that. That's why Proverbs 11.28 says, whoever trusts in his riches will fail, will fall. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. He'll be like a, a tree that's planted by the rivers of living water. His roots, his roots will go deep. That the roots are going to go deep. And even in drought, think about this, that when the roots are deep, you're, you're anchored here, not in your circumstances, not in your bank account. You're anchored into the fountain of living waters. Jesus, who's called the Christ, you're, you're anchored to Him, that, that, that the roots are going to go deep in there. And that, and that when the storms begin to blow and howl and, and the wind and the waves are battling your ship, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We trust in the Lord, don't we? Because the takeaway question is simply this. Does God truly own my bank account? Or is the reality I own it and it owns me? Take away question, write it down. Does God truly own my bank account? Or is the reality I own it? And it owns me. Just think about that. One more time. Does God truly own my bank account? Truly. Or is the reality I own it and it owns me? It's my master. Action step. Here too. Number one, action step. If I've never truly given my life to Jesus, I will do so right now. Action step. If I truly have never given my life to Jesus, I will do so right now. God is not concerned with your schedule or your checkbook. He's concerned with your hearts. And the worst thing you can do here today is leave here today owning your life. This is the day to surrender all, not some to Jesus. If you've never given your life, and I know this, I've seen this happen. I've seen people that have went to church for decades and served in churches, and the reality is they don't know Jesus. He does not know them. If that's you here today, wouldn't today be the day to get this straightened out? Action step two simply goes like this. I will either continue to or I will begin today to be a joyful financial giver back to God of the first fruits of that which He has entrusted to me to manage for His glory. Action step number two, I will either continue to, praise God if you are, or I will begin today to be a joyful financial giver back to God of the first fruits of that which He has entrusted to me to manage for His glory. 
Think about that. When you and I begin to view that we're just a manager, it really changes everything. And when you and I really begin to say, okay, wait a minute, he's loaned this to me and he's going to hold me accountable, that changes everything. Because it's going to be one sorry day. I mean, it's going to be one sorry day. For I believe a lot of people that they're just gathering a war chest and Jesus comes back and they're sitting on the war chest. And he's like, wait a minute, I gave you a parable about this. And the parable is this wasted opportunity. Don't go bury this stuff. Use it to advance the gospel. <laughs> That's the whole point. Jesus is coming back and we must work till Jesus comes. And yet if we've never really given Him our lives, we'll never give Him our schedules nor our checkbooks. Is money a bad thing? No. Money's a good thing. And just like any good thing, it can be perverted. Just like any good thing, it can become demonized. Just like any good thing, that it can have a grip on us. Trusting in money versus trusting in God is idolatry. Don't miss this closing thought. When you and I, and I'm guilty of this, when I've trusted in my bank account more than I've trusted in God, I was walking in idolatry. And God doesn't bless idolatry. He blesses obedience. Where are you at today on this one? Does God own you? Does God really own you? Like, can you say without any shadow of a doubt, it's not perfect, you're not living a life that is free from sin, but you are running hard after Jesus because He's the one who owns you. Can you say that today? I pray that you can. Father, we come before you and we just simply lift up your name. Father, there's so many that are across our country today are struggling on so many fronts and Yet you, Jesus, are the answer. You're the answer for all of life because you are life. So, Father, I pray that we would be like those ones who surrender all, not some. And so, God, will you continue to stir in us as we look to be all in in 21? Will you do a work only you can do? God, I pray that we would not sit casually back on the sidelines, but we'd be engaged, that we would be all in that we'd love the bride of Christ, that we'd treasure our church, that we'd treasure it in such a way because you treasure the church. You're coming back for the church, Jesus, for those that are truly in you. And yet the reality is we can be a church attender and never truly know you. Because your word tells us there in Matthew, that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God, don't allow me, don't allow any of us here today, don't allow us to walk in the deceitfulness of sin. But God, I pray that today will be a day of freedom for someone here. They'll be willing to say, God, I, I need your help. I'm struggling in this area. Free me from this. I no longer want to walk in bondage. I want to walk in freedom. And so God, if... As you move, help us to obey, not to resist, but to give our lives to you as you gave your life for us through your son, Jesus. We worship you. We honor you. We pray this all in the mighty, the matchless, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory, the vine, the door, the bread of life, the fountain of living waters. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during this day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. 
Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.